Hello and welcome to Rhino vs. the World. My name is Bobby. I'll be your host. I am the star of the show, if you will. And uh, uh, let's do this. This is our inaugural episode. We're really excited to be here. Uh, the point of this podcast is to bring on guests who I have dis disagreements with, fundamental disagreements about policy and principle, and to sort of work those out in a civil way, not uh, like the crazy crap that you see on cable news, like Fox, CNN, MSNBC. We're just trying to, you know, no bullshit, straight talk, get right to the point and flesh out those disagreements. So for our first guest ever, uh, we are excited to have on Max Deutsch. Uh, hello, Max. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited for the honor of the first episode. <laughs> Thanks, Max. We really appreciate you taking the time. So just to give a little background about Max. Max is a senior at Hunter College. He's majoring in, in poli-sci uh, with a certificate in public policy. He's worked on several local campaigns in New York City, and he is planning to pursue a career in public policy or federal uh, in public policy in the city or in uh, federal politics. Uh, so much like myself, he's sort of, you know, trying to figure things out right now. But oh, yeah. uh, uh, I think the Second semester senior year is the fun time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it, it, the pressure is on. <laughs> We're both feeling it. But um, just to give you a little background. So, so, you know, as many of you know, who uh, who know me, you know, I'm I'm someone who's uh, more conservative. I'm uh, actually the president of College Republicans at NYU. Uh, you, my, that, that'll become very apparent uh, uh, as we start to get into this. But Max is someone who I've known for a long time. He's a good friend. He's, uh, uh, a, he's, he's someone who you would identify as a progressive. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess like, Paul, like I'll, I'll, I'll consider myself a democratic socialist in terms of like, if I have to give, a, have to, if I have to give it a label. Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. great. Yeah. So that, that's sort of why we wanted to bring Max on because, you know, he's someone who I, 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 uh, I definitely disagree with on policy and principle. Uh, but um, he's someone who, you know, you're someone who I think um, can, is capable of having respectful dialogue. So uh, why don't we just jump right into this? So I think that the Let's three issues that we wanted to talk about today were the minimum wage, the filibuster, and like public sector unions and their impact on, on our political system. So I think we're going to start with uh, just a conversation about the minimum wage. So, uh, you know, obviously, just to give all our viewers some background right now, uh, there's a big push in Washington to uh, raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Uh, this has been, I believe, it, and Max, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that was written into the uh, Democratic Party's uh, platform for the 2020 cycle. Uh, and um, so it, it, it's something that the activist progressive wing of the party has been pushing for a while now. Um, that is uh, obviously a proposal that I am uh, quite skeptical of. So uh, I'm just going to lay out my position and Max, you know, what, what, I just want to have a dialogue about, the, about sure. this. So just, just to, I guess, to, to summarize, uh, you know, my, my thoughts and feelings on this uh, in just a couple sentences. So, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of conservatives go back and forth on whether or not a minimum wage is actually necessary. I'm someone who, who thinks it probably is. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think ideally a minimum wage should be linked to, you know, a consumer price index, like it, things like inflation, uh, and it should be primarily based on local concerns. Uh, I, I don't think in most places, 725 now really, you know, cuts it at the, at, 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 at this point, but that's why I think it should, it should be up to, you know, uh, states and different localities to, uh, set their, uh, their minimum wage. I think a $15 minimum wage would probably be higher than the median wage in some 
uh, in many states. Uh, and I think that, that that's crazy, especially during this uh, time, uh, during, this, during this pandemic, that, that to, to raise the wage, uh, the minimum wage to a, a price that most small businesses can't even afford is, is, is just uh, ludicrous. Uh, but I'm sure Max has different opinions on that. Um, so, so that's kind of my, my, where I'm at, uh, just to provide a little bit more background. You know, um, this was something that the Democrats tried to get into the COVID stimulus bill and were ultimately thwarted by the F Senate parliamentarian. They said it wasn't allowed according to Senate re reconciliation rules. But we'll get into that later when we talk about the yeah. filibuster. But uh, so, Max, where are you at when it comes to raising the wage to 50? Yeah. So I guess, I mean, I think I'll, I'll start by just kind of addressing some of the points you made. I mean, I support $15 minimum wage federally. Um, I think if, like you said, if it should be tied to, if, if the federal minimum wage was tied to inflation, it actually would be $15. Um, it has, if it had actually since 2009, I think when they last uh, raised the minimum wage, it would be $15 today if, if, if adjusted for inflation. Um, but I think the way I see it, it's fairly simple. I believe that workers or employers have an obligation to their employee to pay them a fair wage, a, a living wage. And I believe that's what a fair wage is. Um, and so it doesn't matter where you really live. 725 is far too low, no matter where you live. Uh, 725 is not a living wage. You can't really, I think the, the statistic that goes around a lot is you can't, nobody in, in no state can you afford to rent a, a two bedroom apartment uh, on 725 or even some of the higher, you know, like eight, $9. $15, I think the idea of the, the states, state by state, it, $15 is the floor. So some states will then have higher than $15 and some states where $15 might be more than enough and that's plenty, but that provides those minimum wage workers with the stability needed for, uh, for, for, the, for, the, for the, the living in, in, in that state. And the idea that you mentioned of, oh, I mean, the median wage is, you know, might equal to be the same as the median wage or above. What that's, I think that the reason why minimum wage is important there is because those often are actually the very poor states where median wages are very low. So what that will do is that will raise a lot of those minimum wage workers out of poverty. Well, at the same time, then all those other workers who are making the, what is now the median wage, because the minimum wage will be higher, they will then have greater bargaining power in their wages and their wages get raised and the median wage might raise all kind of all workers are lifted up that way. Uh, there's some other things you mentioned around like the small businesses that there's uh, that they can't afford it. There's a lot of evidence that that's not actually true, but I'll let you respond uh, there first. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I, I, I guess as an ideal, you know, not, if I had to, you know, just you know, <laughs> set my policy ideal, I, I, I'd like this to, you know, be up to kind of out of the hands of politicians and uh, in the hands of, you know, economists at, at the uh, most localized level possible to sort of determine what uh, wage would be appropriate for each of those places. Um, I, I, I think sort of setting, uh, just in general, the, the concept of having a, a national minimum wage in, in a country like ours, uh, where you know, we, we sort of uh, value federalism, uh, kind of seems crazy to me. I, 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 so I'm not like uh, super intent on raising the federal minimum wage. If, if it needs to be raised, I think it should be done on a local basis. But just as, you know, in terms of just like basic, you know, uh, economics 101 here, right? Like if uh, a higher wage is going to, uh, to reduce the quantity of labor demanded, and that's, that's going to lead to higher unemployment. That, that's just, you know, across the board. Um, 
you know, I'm sure you, you saw this, this was sort of widely reported uh, when during the debates about, you know, during the COVID record, uh, the, the, the COVID bill, uh, the CBO reported that if the wage was increased to $15, it would lift 900,000 people out of poverty, but that would come at the expense of, of putting 1.4 uh, million Americans out of work. And I, I, I personally just don't see that as a worthwhile trade-off. Um, I think that, you know, it, it sort of makes sense to do this on in a, uh, on a highly localized basis. I think, I think, you know, setting a wage for the entire country uh, is just kind of crazy. You're, you're going to end up putting a, a lot of people out of, out of work. Um, another thing I'd note is that, you know, uh, I want to let you respond, but I, I just want to, uh, you, you mentioned just, you know, providing people with a, a minimum, uh, you know, a living wage that, that people could actually live on. Um, you know, from what I've seen, the balance of empirical evidence actually suggests that uh, minimum wage hikes fail to achieve the policy goals that are intended. Like, uh, I know there was a study by David Newmark uh, out of UC Irvine and, and William Washer of the uh, Federal Reserve Board that in 2007, uh, the last time uh, the minimum wage hike uh, happened, so this was after that, uh, that labor incomes declined as a result of minimum wage increases. Uh, and I think that reflects just the uh, negative effects of, of, of minimum wage on employment because of uh, reduced hours. So a lot of times, you know, just to translate into that, <laughs> that into, into English, a lot of times, uh, you know, businesses will cut back hours when, they, when, when, when there's these dramatic wage hikes. Um, I, I, I sort of see the, the, the policy you know, status quo is completely unideal right now because like, of the just dramatic changes. So I think we kind of agree there that, you know, things need to be linked to inflation um, I, I, in regards to whether or not that, uh, it would be $15 an hour right now. I mean, uh, I, I certainly don't think in places like West Virginia and Alabama, that's the case. That's, that's my point about uh, localization and federalism uh, and why that's so important. But I, I want to let you respond and then uh, uh, hopefully we can get into maybe a, a, a deeper conversation about like rights and yeah. stuff that you talked about. Now, employees have a right to a right, you said, to a living wage. So go ahead. Yes. I mean, I'll start addressing some of the points you made. I think that the CBO one specifically of the Congressional Budget Office report. So the interesting thing about that report is um, it only actually it based its information off of only 11 studies out of the I mean, this is one of the things about the minimum wage is that it's the one issue where like each side has dozens and dozens and dozens of studies that have been done on it that support. So it's like one of the reasons why the minimum wage debate is so kind of ineffective is because it's, I have a study that shows this, but I have a study that shows this. But in terms of the CBO report, uh, it's very limited data. And actually of those 11 studies, one of those studies is fairly, is outdated because the researchers of that, it was a study done by these researchers in Seattle, the minimum wage in Seattle, they found that it had a negative effect on employment. But then like a couple of years later, those same researchers actually uh, redid their their, their, their study and found actually the opposite and found positive effects on employment. So it's a CBO report based on 10 studies, again, out of the dozens that have been done from what I saw that the, so there's one kind of the main uh, economist on the left is this guy, Arindra Dube, I believe his name is. He's an economist from uh, UMass. And so he spoke about it. He looked at the kind of the formula that, that the CBO used. It gave more weight to those studies that found uh, negative impact effects of the, from the minimum wage. So the CBO report is not necessarily the most um, useful specifically because it's such a limited sample size. And so uh, Arindra D. Dubey, uh, he's done, I mean, he's, he's done a ton of studies on the minimum wage, but it, he's done studies again. I don't wanna get into a back and forth of studies, but I'll just like just kind of say his findings. 
he's done one study, his most famous one, he looked at 138 minimum wage increases across the United States over 70 years. And looking in that, that study, he found barely any effects on minimum wage on uh, yeah, negative effects on employment. He did another study uh, looking at, I think around 60 kind of a meta, a meta analysis of 60 studies and found most of them did not have negative effects on employment. Those that did find negative effects on employment were super, again, like really small sample sizes, like a really small group of, of workers. So I, there is a lot of evidence that the negative effects on employment actually would not be so bad. Um, and we see that in New York, it's, act, it's actually what happened. New York did essentially this policy in 2013, we had a 725 minimum wage. They set a five-year plan for that by 2018, it would be $15. Maybe it was, I think it was 2019, it was $15. And it was extremely effective. Uh, actually, a professor of mine from last semester, James Parrott, he, he was involved. He, like, he worked with the city on implementing minimum wage. And his findings are that it's, I mean, the, there, there is no, the, the Econ 101, economics are more complicated than Econ 101. There's a reason why there's more classes in Econ. It, it isn't a simple supply and demand. Um, so that it doesn't actually happen. It's just factors such as, yes, labor costs more, but people make more money, they're spending more. Uh, workers are more productive when they get paid more. So small businesses or just businesses have more product to sell. So there's kind of all different kinds of external factors besides just the wage in terms of how employers uh, make their decisions on hiring and firing. Sure. Um, no, I, I, I totally agree that like, you know, you know, I, I could cite statistics, you could cite statistics, yeah. kind of go back and forth. And so that's, yeah, it's going to take those kind of more into a lullaby. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I, I guess uh, more fundamentally, like what is the, what do you think is the limiting principle? You know, why $15? Like, oh, where sure. you, what is your policy idea? Why is $15 the number? If you're saying that, you know, uh, consumers are going to spend more and it's going to be better for work, you know, and, 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 you know, on a macroeconomic scale, it's going to be better on the aggregate. Like, why stop at fifteen dollars? Why not yeah, go yeah. to twenty-five? Why not go to thirty? You know, well, where? Yeah, yeah. So I guess yeah. So the the well, to be the fifteen dollars started in twenty. That was the number in twenty thirteen. Um, so like, ideally, it, it would be higher. That's why I mean, like most or many or most states don't actually have a seven twenty-five minimum wage. They raise it a bit higher because the minimum wage is a floor. So you set the floor, and then states. Uh, and, and, and or cities can then raise raise from there so to, to be then more applicable to, to the living conditions or the costs in, in those specific places. But you, you do need a floor or else many businesses will just pay it as little as possible. But in terms of, oh, why don't we just make it 25 right away? Because there is a limit to how much you can throw on, on, on businesses before they go out of business. You know, you can't, you can't just, and that, that, that's why the, the, the Democrats plan is to do it over five years and to kind of implement it based on your business size, based on what the current minimum wage is, you implement it over, over five years to make it doable. And so again, also why 15, where that, where that number came from, when you look at kind of the new deal era of the 20th century from the 1930s to I think the 1968, 1970, uh, it wasn't, the minimum wage wasn't just tied to inflation, but it was tied to productivity. So the level of productivity, how much workers were producing, the minimum wage went up with that. Uh, and so in like 1968, the minimum wage was in today's dollars, like 11, like 11, 10, 11 dollars. And then I think Nixon cut that. Um, but so we do know, we, we still keep track of productivity. We know how productive workers are. We know how much wages are. 
So what the minimum wage should be based on based on the, on productivity is it should be like twenty five dollars. If we tied it to inflation and productivity, it should be around twenty five dollars. If it you know had never been interrupted and it just kind of went went on forever. But obviously we can't just jump twenty five dollars because that will shut down businesses. Yeah. So that's yeah. So it's kind of where where fifteen comes from. Again, it, it's where fifteen dollars was what it you know what it would have been ten almost ten years ago by now. Uh, but now this is where it starts. Like I, there are many who I mean there are many on the left who say make it twenty five right away. And then, but because that's all idealism, that, that, that can't work. Yeah. But $15 does seem to be by, again, I'm not going to go into, you know, site, but there's plenty of studies that show, and especially over a five-year period, that $15 is easily doable. And then from there, you know, each, each locale can then, you know, decide if they want to raise more. Yeah. I mean, I, I think just, um, you know, as, as a, an ideal, uh, like, I, I, I think what's lost in this whole debate is that, you know, in most countries, it's out of the hands of politicians and I, I I'm sort of of that view. Uh, I, I might be in a, a minority on the right in, in, in that regard, but I think that this should you know, largely just be linked to inflation. Um, but uh, I, I think federalism is, is important there um, because, you know, like you said, uh, <laughs> we both can cite statistics and, yeah. uh, you know, there's, there's, there's contra- contrasting studies. But I, um, before we jump to the filibuster and just the political context, uh, which all this sort of arose uh, recently, um, I wanted to get to, uh, to talk about, cause you mentioned, um, that, that, that yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the workers have a right to this. So, you know, I, I'm of the view that, uh, you know, people don't have, uh, you know, you know, I, I, I sort of like the American founders in this regard that, uh, the only thing you have a right to, uh, is, 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 uh, freedom from, uh, you know, state intervention. So, uh, what, what are, what's kind of known as negative rights. Uh, I, 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 I think it's hard to say that people have rights to scarce resources. I think that uh, any attempt to sort of equalize outcomes in, in that regard uh, uh, leads to uh, just a, a usurpation of, 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 of liberties that I'm deeply uncomfortable with. So uh, I, I, let's flesh this out a little bit. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, why, why don't you have a right to... I don't know, to, to my couch every, you know, like what, I, I know that the, the stupid question, yeah. but I, I don't mean that to, you know, I, mockingly, I, I, facetiously, I want to, I want to actually flesh this out. Yeah. So, I mean, what it comes down to, or I'll start with this. Do you think that workplaces should have OSHA safety laws? Sure. Sure. I, I, uh, you know, maybe there, there might be some things I reject. I, I, I you know, I, without getting to all the specifics of OSHA regulations. I mean, I think that- uh, Basically, you believe that, you know, we should have workplace safety laws. Of course, but, you know, I, I wouldn't say that, that, that that's a right workers have per se. I think that that, that is, uh, you know, a statute that was, I don't know, it doesn't have the same level of, of, of uh, you know, legal and uh, moral, uh, in the word here, but it doesn't have the same legal and moral stature uh, as like, a, you know, a, 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 a right that's, uh, you know, Right, but, but I, I guess what I'm going to get, though, is that you, you recognize that there is clearly employers have an, some obligation to the safety of their workers and a well-being of their workers because, and this is kind of what, what I'm getting at, you know, that the point is that, is that the reason why I say I don't have the right to your couch is I have no, the workers are the ones producing the product. The, the, the small business owner cannot have, have their small business without the, the labor and that the workers provide them. So there, and that, that is kind of the relationship between employer and employee is one of, and this is getting to like, you know, the more socialist, you know, yeah. <laughs> explanations of things uh, of, you know, and this is like a kind of classic Marxism is that 
the worker's labor has value and that, that value is then extracted by the small business owner. Uh, some take that to say, oh, that's, what, that's why, you know, wage labor is slavery and you have to get rid of it altogether. I'm saying uh, just that there is a service there. We recognize that there is a relationship. It's not just I'm a free individual and it's, it's not, you're not stealing the, you know, the, the small business owner's resources by taking that. No, I am doing this thing for you. And you then have a responsibility to me because I am providing, I am creating your wealth for you. So this is kind of, and I'm in, I'm spending 40 hours of my week, or, you know, sometimes more, sometimes less, but I'm spending 40 hours of my week uh, working for you. So kind of to, to be able to do that effectively, I need a house. I need medical care. I need internet. I need, you know, cable. I need food. So, and the only way that you can get those things is by being paid enough. And the only way, yeah, I guess if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I'd say a number of things. One, I don't net really buy into sort of the Marxist theory of, and you mentioned Marxism, I don't want to go there, but uh, uh, I don't really buy into like the theory of, of surplus value. I think at the end of the day, um, you know, if a, a business owner has an idea that's ultimately like like that, that, uh, that capital is almost, that, that's almost priceless. It, 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 yes, the, 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 the labor is, is, is is almost um, well, I don't want to say expendable because human beings aren't expendable, but the the it's it, it's not unique. What what's driving the business, uh, what what's creating the value uh, for the business is uh, ultimately the, the the business owner's ideas. Um, Every everybody has ideas. That doesn't mean you know it, it's the only thing that makes those ideas worth anything. I have ideas for like you know amusement parks and like TV shows I want to make. Those aren't worth anything unless you know I can hire people to. Sure, but yeah. the, the but you Maybe. could hire you know that that that's sort of why you know market forces are at play because uh, ultimately it, it, it's it's uh, you know who who's willing to sell their labor uh, to do that task that is ultimately you know not unique. It's something that that's almost uh, you know presumably uh, there are a number of people that are qualified to do that. You don't need said specific person only in like unique unique circumstances is that the case. Um, I would say, you know, yes, there, there's, there's, you know, with basic like, uh, you know, uh, like, like employment laws and 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 and, and things that uh, uh, you know employers are, are required to uh, offer to their uh, employees, and 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 uh, I think what one of the uh, great things about free markets is that uh, businesses can kind of com- compete to offer, uh, you know, who's because they have to compete for for labor. Obviously, this is an ideal; it doesn't always work out this way. But uh, I would yeah. argue we don't have a free market in that. In that, yeah, I mean, we're talking in the in, in the in the realm of theory. Uh, you know, the idea is that uh, businesses have to compete for for labor, and uh, they have to offer a a, a number of benefits uh, if they want the. You know, the, the, it's 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 to their detriment if they're if, if they uh, hurt uh, their workers or if they underpay people because because some people will go work somewhere else. Now, obviously, that's not ideal. It doesn't always work out that way. Um, but I think, like you know, forsaking our entire system of, of, of rights uh, is, is, is ill-advised. I think what we ought to do and what we do do here in the U.S. and, and even in, in the you know, Nordic democracies that uh, progressives like to herald uh, as uh, these pristine utopias, uh, in those places, in the end of the day, like, labor is still driven by market forces. Uh, there are laws in the books to protect workers, and those are, those, the, you know, some of those things are, are, are correct, and I, uh, I'd support them, and they'd probably be seen as pretty non-controversial. Uh, even if you know socialists at the beginning of the 20th century were the ones advocating for those things, uh, 
know, those, those oh, many of these like you know basic things like workplace safety stuff like that. That's that's largely been vindicated. Uh, what I see, uh, you know, some people on the American left pushing now is, is kind of going beyond that. Uh, I, I don't think you're one of these people, but you know, going beyond that and and, and sort of upending uh, our entire system of employment. And I just think that's well. I mean, we had we did have these minimum wages for you know 50 years, so it's not like this is a totally new system. At the same time, we were doing those workplace safety laws. At the same, that was when they were implementing minimum wages. They were seen, they were they they were seen together because we had people working, you know, sixteen hours a day for you know thirty cents, and they said, okay, obviously that is not sustainable. Uh, so they they created minimum. Like, I I don't I don't, yeah. I don't I don't see them as separate. They were part. They were created as part of the exact same project. Sure, sure. No, I'm not. I'm not. You know, this is kind of we've gone beyond the scope of just the minimum wage here. I mean, I I, I think you know. Um, you know, like in regards to whether or not we should even have a minimum wage, like I said before, I'm probably of the opinion that we should. Uh, I think in countries that there are some countries that have abolished the minimum wage, but uh, those places have like you know significantly more robust unionization than we do. Um, so I'm 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 with you there. I think we should have a minimum wage. I think we should have basic workplace occupational standards, uh, safety standards. You know, I'm not I'm not just you know arguing with you there. Uh, it's just sort of the scope of that and and. Uh, uh, and when you talk about rights, you know, um, uh, I, 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 I think uh, it's best left the, that these things are just sort of left up to basic statutes as opposed to giving them the same legal uh, stature as like, you know, basic rights in, enshrined in the Bill of Rights, which I, I think are uh, of all the uh, human made doctrines, I think they come closest to uh, reflecting, uh, you know, a, a vision of, of, of what, uh, I mean, like there is a reason why FDR wanted to create the economic bill of rights. So like, yeah, I mean, I, like, I mean, like, I, I don't think these are as separate than I think as, as, as you do. Yeah. Um, that, that, that is a, a, a difference between us there. I mean, I, I also am someone who, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, call me, uh, you know, anachronistic, but I'm someone who like laments, uh, you know, what happened in 1937 with like the judicial revolution and, you know, the, the death of Lochnerism, I think substantive due process is a legitimate uh, constitutional pr principle. So I, I uh, um, you know, I, 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 I'm just worried about the, 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 the usurpation of rights. And I, I think that, they, you know, you, you can I like which, which rights are being usurped by a minimum wage? Well, no, not, 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 not even necessarily a minimum wage. I just mean like uh, in, in some facets of economic policy, uh, like, like, um, I mean, I think the precise example when the, you know, the Lochner case going back, is going back now like the, almost in the 19th century here, but, uh, the, is like laws surrounding, um, uh, how many hours someone can work in a week. And basically, you know, the, the person that the, the, the plaintiff in that, in that case was actually, a, I believe, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I'm almost positive was, uh, an employee, someone who wanted to work more. So I don't think like, uh, you know, for example, something like that, like, I, I don't think an employee should be prevented from, you know, if they want if, out of their own volition to work more, to make more money for them, their family, provide more for their family, as long as it's not jeopardizing the safety of others uh, and the business as a whole, I think they should be able to do that. Um, and so there, there, there are things like that, you know, there, there, there are like various uh, areas of regulation in, 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 in public life today where that's actually, you know, like relevant. And I think that uh, you know, maybe a rest like, uh, you know, in, in trucking, this is a big deal because like there's only a certain amount of hours you're allowed behind the wheel. And sometimes that prevents uh, uh, certain individuals from, you know, making ends meet. So I think like 
Well, they'd uh, probably be able to make ends meet if the wages were higher on in that time. Well, so, well you know, like and that's why, you know, if you had a fifteen dollar minimum wage, that drives all wages up. Of course, but like and, you know, now we're going to start we should probably yeah. uh, finish up the section. But you know, like again, once again, like uh in some places that, that you know of, of course giving more money and people if the answer you know was just to give more pe- people more free money, like of course, but the, you know, there are obviously macroeconomic concerns and to do that. Uh, in, in, a, in a low wage state uh, to make it fifteen dollars. By the way, I think you'd be putting a lot of people out of out of business and out of work. So, uh, with that, I think we should just move on because you know we we kind of want to get yeah. things going here. So let's just get into the political context of all this. Uh, so, um, as I stated before, uh, the reason why this this whole issue reemerged recently was because of debates surrounding uh, the, the this COVID relief bill, and Democrats wanted to really. They really want to throw this in there because a lot of workers, uh, specifically minority workers, have been have been uh, really disproportionately blue collar workers have been disproportionately hurt by the pandemic and some of these government uh, imposed lockdowns, uh, which I'm opposed to. So we'll, we'll get into that later. Um, and um, so so the idea was to, to, to include this in the bill, um, but uh, it wasn't going to get past the, the, the Senate filibuster. So what Democrats who control both chambers now? Thank you, President Trump. <laughs> uh, they they uh, um, decided to uh, do this through this uh, arcane process known as budget reconciliation, which is kind of you know it's super convoluted to to tell you. I know all the esoteric ins and outs uh, would be a lie. I don't, Max. I don't think you do either. I mean, I've been turned on the hill, but I'm I'm certainly not privy to have this process. I don't think anyone really knows. Um, but the, the, the way it works uh, is it, it allows uh, uh, senators to avoid the, uh, the, 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 the filibuster. It allows the chamber to just to, to, uh, to go right to ending debate. By the way, I should mention what the filibuster is. Filibuster, by the way, is just um, a uh, procedure that only exists really in the United States Senate uh, that um, basically requires that 60 vote, you, you have at least 60 votes to end debate. So what, what, you know, minority parties can do that have, you know, uh, more than 60 votes in the, more than uh, 40 votes in the chamber, they could, it's a chamber of 100 people, they can uh, effectively just block all legislation by uh, filibustering from now until, you know, forever uh, on, on, on some of these uh, pieces of legislation. So uh, Democrats tried to go this route through budget reconciliation, and the Senate parliamentarian uh, sort of uh, said that it, 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 you couldn't, the parliamentarian, by the way, is the person who sort of, you know, make sure that the senators are following the rules that have been set by past, uh, uh, congresses. So they said, she said that, yeah, it, it's not going to fly and, uh, you can't get this through, uh, using this mechanism. That was before Joe Manchin and sort of some other moderates, uh, uh, said that, you know, $15 was, uh, uh, not something they were going to go for either. But uh, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Max. Um, so, uh, you know, my position is, is basically that the, you know, the, the filibuster is great because it, it requires a consensus. It, 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 it requires uh, individuals to, or senator, the, 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 the Senate to seek uh, um, wide majorities in order to pass legislation. It prevents wild policy swings. And uh, I think that, you know, we often talk about the Senate uh, as being, you know, this dignified chamber that's sort of the uh, the saucer on the bottom of the cup that cools the hot passions of, of the of the House of Representatives. And I think that 
it's 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 something that's wise to 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 keep around. I think it would it'd be uh, sort of um, uh, ill-advised to just forsake at this time. So uh, that's just scratching the surface, but let's get into it. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so I think this is something I only learned recently as I was kind of preparing for this and reading into the history of the Senate. Because uh, like the filibuster is always, the way I've always heard about it, is it's kind of this like cornerstone of the Senate. It's what makes the Senate the Senate. It's, you know, and I've seen, this is something I've seen claimed, you know, social, from social media posts to like the Daily Wire, but to also to like National Review, National Affairs, like, you know, also kind of the conservative spectrum of like the founding fathers created the filibuster uh, to, you know, to protect the minority, Obviously. Uh, the, the minority voice. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people call getting rid of the filibuster unconstitutional, but it basically seems like you can't change it. You can't touch it. It, it is what makes the Senate the Senate. But so just kind of re- when you look at the history of the filibuster, uh, none of this is really true. The founders did not want to fill up. The founders didn't even come up with the filibuster. They were uh, fairly opposed to any to the idea of minority veto. Madison and Hamilton mm-hmm. called it a poison. Uh, so like in terms of, and I would think as a conservative, you know, you want to follow the founder's original vision. They were, it seems to be there's a lot of historical evidence that they wanted the Senate to be run majoritarian uh, rule. And then, so the reason that the filibuster came about was totally by accident. Uh, the Senate and the House and Senate had this rule, basically at any point during the debate, someone can say, can we just call a vote? And they could do that. But in 1806, uh Aaron Burr was kind of like looking through the House and Senate's rule book. And he was like, this thing is too complicated. I'm just going to kind of get rid of a bunch of rules that seem redundant. So he just kind of took out, uh, he canceled the, the rule that allowed that allowed to, to call an end to debate. Um, and so, and it, they, he, there was no intention, there was no intention of kind of a, trying to create a filibuster type situation. And we know that because nobody used a filibuster for another 30 years or so. The first filibuster wasn't until 1837. So it really like it just was not a thing for for a while. In fact, even the House even had the filibuster for a time during the 1800s, but they got rid of it because it was just they they saw we we're not getting anything done. This is ridiculous. Let's get rid of it, and they did. And the House, you know, people said if you get rid of the filibuster, you're going to destroy the House. It's going to be impossible. Politics are going to be ruined. We're here 200 years later. We're fine. Uh, and then again, the filibuster only really comes into play in the 1880s. And 1870s, 1880s from the South, uh, trying to fight back against Reconstruction and any any kind of civil rights. It's what allowed Jim Crow to start. Famously, it was then mainly used during the the 50s or in the 60s during the civil rights to block any civil rights legislation. But even before that, um, it it also hasn't been this. We haven't had the same filibuster this whole time. It originally for the first you know 50, 60 years it was around. It there was no it wasn't 60 votes. It was just anyone, any number of people can, uh, can, 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 can filibuster. So like if, if 11 people said we want to filibuster, that was it. And, and nobody can pass anything. So in 1917, Woodrow Wilson changed it. So it was a supermajority. So you needed 67 votes. Uh, but then that was seen as too complicated. So in the seventies, they made it 60. And then in the eighties, they changed it again. Cause it used to be the talking filibuster. That's where the whole idea. Now, now, so, and this is kind of why I think the modern filibuster is so, so absurd. There, the, as can you imagine, the filibuster is supposed to create dialogue, create this conversation, prevent anything bad from happening, but there is no debate happening over the filibuster. The way the filibuster works now is some staffer for, for any senator just kind of emails the, ha- the, the, the party leaders and says, I want a filibuster. And then it's just filibuster. And they notify all the senators. Nobody has to go up. 
Nobody has to speak. There's no, there's no debate happening. So all it is is it's total uh, tyranny of the minority uh, with it, even like the idea that, that, you, that I've often heard, and I don't think you said this, but that, that the filibuster is supposed to create debate in the Senate. It doesn't even happen for the past 30 years. So it seems absurd to yeah. keep it. I, yeah, I mean, and I guess I'll stake out my position because I just kind of went in a long historical rant. But my position, I would, I would say, have a filibuster, a talking filibuster with a with a talking limit. So you can have the debate. People can share their sides, but you only get thirty hours of talking, and then and then you have to force a vote. Yeah. So um, here, here's what I'd say. So in regards to just the, you know, you, you, I appreciate you giving sort of this broad historical uh, overview for uh, for listeners out there. You know, I, I, I might reject to some of it, but. Um, you mentioned that 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 the, the filibuster is not something that's enshrined in the Constitution, and that it, it, it's not something the founders uh, really knew about or discussed. And of course, that's all true. Um, but you know, I, th- I think I think the, the framers, you know, and, and as a conservative, you're sort of hyper aware of this. I think the framers were pretty skeptical of uh, you know just hyper majoritarianism and and, and and direct democracy. I think that's uh, you know readily apparent in, in some of the you mentioned you cited the Federalist Papers. It's readily apparent, in like you know, obviously, like. Federalist 10, where, you know, Madison talks about factionalism and direct democracy. So like things like that, you know, it, it, it's very clear that the founders were opposed to uh, just just pure majority rule. Uh, and, and they did sort of see the, the Senate as, as a dignified chamber. I think that's why ultimately the, 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 the Senate, you know, chose to keep the, the rule. And as you said, that the House uh, ditched it after a couple of years of, of experimentation. Um, I, I would say this. I mean, I. Oh, one more thing I should mention is that you, you know you 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 said that like oh it was used to you know prevent the, the passage of the Civil Rights Act uh, without getting into the merits of uh, you know Title VI and stuff like that like uh, that that's a much longer conversation uh, you know just because some like like racist horrible people like you know Strom, Strom Thurmond and like you know people in the fifties and the sixties used something for a bad thing doesn't like forever tarnish its legacy you know like just because uh, some racist guy just to you know <laughs> bring up my couch again. Just just because someone who's racist maybe sat right here doesn't make the, the whole couch bad. You know, probably a poor analogy, but <laughs> you get my point. I, I don't see I don't see that as like tarnishing the entire le- uh, 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 legacy and the uh, the efficacy of of, of the uh, this procedural mechanism. Um, but uh, just in regards to like uh, you know what I think should happen now and, and how how things should proceed because I, I I sort of would concede that the status quo is probably not uh, ideal you know the, the 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 Senate has basically become almost uh, impotent in terms of you know actually passing legislation I I think we should make it a more uh, painful exercise I think you know the the way you described uh, the filibuster working now uh, that 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 that's probably not a good thing. Uh, I, I think it should be, you know, we should go back to the way it was, you know, like, the, 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 I don't know if we should go back to the way it was in terms of having a talking filibuster, I, I, you know, without getting into like the, the, the hyper specifics of the reform, you know, I think there was an article in the Atlantic this past uh, week about, uh, you know, making just making the filibuster more painful uh, and making it uh, something that that is, 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 is harder for people to do. I, I'm open to reform. I just think it would be ill advised for Democrats to go ahead and just just nuke the thing, uh, because you know what, what what's going to happen is you're going to see a wild policy swing back when the Republicans uh, re- inevitably regain control of the chamber. Um, I, I think one of the reasons, by the way, I should mention this, and this is just sort of a critique of my own side here. 
one of the reasons why I think Republicans uh, or Democrats are, are, are considering doing this is because uh, a number of commentators have made this point. I'm uh, just echoing it. But I, I don't think Republicans right now are, are, are presenting a real policy threat. Like because of just the internal divides within the party and sort of, I think, just the lack of substance from uh, sort of the MAGA side of the conservative movement, uh, Democrats don't really see and, and liberals don't really see any uh, credible policy threat coming from the right right now. Like what, you know, if you, if you ask your average Republican, like what are the Republicans, what is their policy agenda? What are they going to do? when they're in power again, uh, you, they'd be hard pressed to come up with a specific agenda. Maybe I have things I want, but I don't know if the party actually reflects this right now. And I think that's sort of one of the reasons why Democrats are feeling bold and to go ahead and do this. I think this is probably something you probably agree with me on. Um, I just think that, that that's sort of a failing on the part of the Republican Party to uh, present a positive agenda that, that's actually going to better people's lives uh, and, and, and to sort of present a, a united front a, uh, something that's a credible threat that would happen, you know, if the Democrats actually go ahead and 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 uh, push us down this road of of, of uh, further uh, polarization and and and, and uh, you know actually go ahead and, and, and abolish this thing. Um, I'll let you respond, and then I want to talk a little bit more about the history, and then we can move on to the next topic. Yeah, so I think just briefly addressing your point about oh that you know yes it was used by a bunch of racists, but that doesn't tarnish it. I will say it doesn't mean the filibuster isn't itself racist, but I think it was more than it's more than just a couple of races to use it. It was it was like this happened, you know, a lot throughout it happened. John C. Calhoun famously used it a lot in the 30s, was used in the 1870s, 1880s, and the 1950s. So I think it doesn't necessarily tarnish the filibuster, but it's the kind of thing where looking back now, because we are, you know, we've moved past those times to an extent, uh, we recognize that the filibuster is something that was used to prevent necessary progress. And so I think that the bills the Democrats are proposed want to pass some things, you know, voting rights bill, the police reform act, the pro act, the $15 minimum wage, all these are things that now we might be saying, you know, people might be saying, oh, these are wrong, these are bad, but maybe in, you know, I've, you know, 50 years, 100 years, you know, these are going to be the kind of things where we look back in history and realize, oh, these are things, you know, these are the necessary uh, goods that good policies that should have been passed, but were, were, were prevented because of the filibuster. But I think then going going back then to your point about uh, oh the, the the policy agenda of the Republicans and what's going to happen when they take control, that's the that's the best argument against abolishing the filibuster. I think that's definitely a concern for me in terms of oh what happens if they do abolish the filibuster, and then in a couple of years Republicans are in control and they they let's say they they get together their policy agenda. So I think a few responses to that are one I think to a to a degree at least, and I, I think this is something. I don't know, it's possible I agree with this totally, or at least I agree with it in part, that the, the, the harm that is done by nothing happening is probably, and worse than, or I think is worse than if the Democrats can pass a ton of great policies in the next few years, and then if in you know, three, four, five years, the Republicans have a majority and they pass their things, but at least all the good things we have, you know, the Democrats have done now will have happened. Um, I think getting rid of the filibuster itself, and this is, this is kind of one, one thing, because even without a filibuster, you still need a trifecta, first of all. You still need to have the House and the, and the White House, which doesn't happen very often. So even if, let's say, in you know, 2022 or 2024, they abolish the filibuster, and then in four years, the, 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 the Senate's Republican, but it doesn't mean that everything will be, will be able to be passed. Uh, because, let's say, you know, if Kamala Harris is president then and she, and she vetoes it, 
uh, or the House or the House is still Democrat. But also for a lot of the things uh, the Democrats want to pass now, it's a lot harder to take things away than to give things to people. You see that uh, the Republicans in 20, was 2017 couldn't repeal Obamacare, even though they, they had a trifecta. So even, even and especially because I think the Republican Party is so disjointed, if they could get a, a fill or just a majority, it's not totally clear. But I guess, and that I, I said a lot of things right there, but I, I guess the argument goes down to the things that, that the Democrats are proposing to pass out of filibuster uh, need to be passed, I think. And yes, like there, there, there definitely will come a time where probably Democrats will hate that they did that, as with the that would happen with the Supreme Court uh, nominees in terms of when Reid got rid of it in 2013, and then McConnell used that to get rid of it again uh, for to to block uh, Merrick Garland. But like, I think the the good it's going to do now is is worth it. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that that last uh, tidbit at the end because I, I think I think uh, you know it's important to provide people you know with a, sort of a, a brief overview of how we got here and just. Um, but know, also I, that that I, I do think though, I just want to say the fact that we got rid of filibusters in 2013 and 2017 is again or 2016 is again another example of just how the filibusters is not this concrete thing that you know can't be touched or gotten rid of because clearly it, it can yeah, be yeah like way. i said i'm open yeah. to reform and i i uh yeah i know a lot of progressives have noted that it's not uh you know it's not this like holy <laughs> thing that you you know can't possibly be irreverent about but i just think it's it, it is uh a, a a good mechanism um but yeah i just i think in regards to like uh, the fact that like john c calhoun some racists may have used it at some point like i said i don't think uh, that tarnishes uh, its efficacy. Uh, I think that's important, just to reiterate that. And then um, and I think, you know, what ultimately what this comes down to is like you said, you know, you see these things as like uh, things that need to be done, that need to get passed. And, uh, you know, I, I, I sort of uh, view them as all, all those, those bills you said, HR1, you know, uh, the PRO Act, some of these other things, I, I, some of these things that, uh, you know, I'm deeply opposed to. And I think, uh, you know, I, I, I'm confident, you know, I don't have this sort of wig view of history that is this art, the history, and we're all going to look back and say all these wonderful progressive things were like the things we, what we should have done at the time, you know, I, I don't, I don't see it that way. And uh, I think the onus is on Republicans now to really uh, step up their game and actually present an agenda that uh, is going to win people over and, and uh, uh, <laughs> convince Democrats uh, that, that this uh, uh, ought to not be done because uh, uh you know, their agenda will, uh, they, the Republicans will regain control of the chamber, but you know, I think we have to wrap up there, yeah. uh, but Max it was great having you on. Hopefully we can maybe have you on. We'll yeah. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of issues in politics. So. I know. I know, but <laughs> maybe we could talk about uh, campaign finance stuff and, uh, oh, we'll yeah. but uh, I think this was a great uh, start to the podcast. So thanks everyone for tuning in and yeah, uh, everyone should watch more or listen more. Thanks. Yeah. I'm glad we could do this and uh, see you all uh, soon when we uh, come out with episode number two. See you later, everybody. Thanks again, Max. Bye.